0: Welcome to Making Movies is Hard, a podcast about the everyday struggle of being an independent filmmaker. I'm Alaric Purcell. And I'm Timothy Plain. Each week we talk about a different filmmaking topic, not as experts, but just as two independent filmmakers trying to figure it out for ourselves.
1: Yeah, that's right. Good morning, Timothy. Good morning. Talk to me. What's going on? Well, well, this is completely off any topic that we had. Um, but Are you gonna surprise me? I, well, see how I react in the moment. Well, you just, <laughs>
0: you just sent me a little comment thread that started about uh, the Shane Carruth episode and topic, mm-hmm. and then the with same Derek. with Derek and the same listener. He then said. <laughs> something about voiceover and like you guys talked about it and like you can't really just say it's generally all bad like and lazy writing like there's really good voiceover and then you said oh I love voiceover something something and then you listed some movies that have great voiceover and I just started to think about this whole voiceover thing okay so in school when you were doing film school did they say voiceover was lazy writing was that part of yeah oh yeah yeah they said that yeah me too I think everyone
1: heard that. It's like, fuck that. I'm doing voiceover.
0: Right. And and um, I tend to believe that that's actually true. Um, and uh, I mean, I'm not trying to say that you can't ever use voiceover. It's just that like it's much harder to show something than just to tell your audience something like it's way easier just to tell them it than it is to show them it. And I mean, I love movies that have amazing voiceover, like Goodfellas, Casino, um, a lot, m- most Woody Allen movies have amazing use of voiceover, like Ferris Bueller. I mean, they could go on forever, like Fight Club. But, you know, how many movies have you seen where it, it's just voiceover? And it's just like, they just start with voiceover and there's no point for it to, to start as a voiceover. It just is voiceover. And it's just like every movie's voiceover. And it's like people, we don't need to have voiceover. Like, like it seems like the default is voiceover, and the default shouldn't be voiceover. It should be like, if you have a really great reason to use voiceover, then let's do it. But it seems like every filmmaker just goes to voiceover or it's like oh the audience doesn't understand what's going on let's just put in a voiceover, and then that'll clear it all up it's like that's (laughs) the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life and I've even had a filmmaker tell me that and I'm gonna call you out right now that the someone film Uh, he's a listener and uh, in his movie he uh, didn't have voiceover originally and then he put voiceover in because he said that people didn't know what was going on Hmm, and it's like that movie I don't I can't remember if he took it out in the end in the in the most recent cut yeah that Movie just didn't need it. It's just like, just a waste yeah, of I my time. I remember it feeling out of place. I just, I don't know. It, it, this is not really fueled by that movie or like by m- most mainstream movies. <laughs> this is, well, maybe it is f- f- uh, fe- fueled by most mainstream mu- movies. I don't know. I just feel like I turn on a movie on Netflix, if it's just a random movie or whatever, and like 90% of the time it starts with the stupid voiceover I was just your average guy. Oh, yeah, look at me there. And then <laughs> we'll see where it ends up being later on. It's like, oh
1: my God. Like go fuck yourself! Like I don't need this voiceover in my life, in my movies. <laughs> I love that it pisses you off so much. I I don't. When I hear bad voiceover, I don't have a, such a negative reaction. But I I totally agree with you. I think if you can say it without voiceover, it's better to say it without voiceover. But there's some movies that the voiceover adds so much to what's going on internally in a character that you just you can't do visually and it really comes down to writing and uh, right now popping in my head is fight club there's so many things in fight club that just won't work if you take the voiceover out of that movie and because that that voiceover is so strong and it's written so well it's it's like such a huge part of what makes that movie tick
0: yeah like fight club american beauty there are a lot of great examples of of movies that wouldn't work without voiceover but right. i mean but
1: your, your argument is not every movie needs voiceover and therefore you should challenge yourself to make a movie without voiceover and only use it if you can't tell your story without it.
0: Yeah, think about why you're using it. Like, are you using it because you want to give the audience information or are you using it because you're trying to create a style and a feel for your movie? And I, I think mean, most
1: people are using it nowadays just to create a style and a feel and they, they like that feeling of what voiceover does. I, I Same don't reason think so. <laughs> People use like shaky cams or, you know, handheld cameras versus cameras on tripods. I think it's just, I think it's a stylistic thing. People have seen so many great voiceover movies that then it becomes like this tonal thing. They think they're doing that, but they're not actually doing that.
0: They think they're creating this wonderful (laughs) style and they're like, whatever, but they're actually just giving you sloppy information. I'm being really on my high horse right now. I'm like coming off as a major dick face this morning, but, uh, (laughs) but, but, uh, voiceover really gets me going, man. I don't know. Ah, jeez! I can't remember the name of this movie It's with Anton Yelkin It's a stupid movie We couldn't even get through the first five minutes But it starts with this most annoying voiceover I've ever seen in my life It's, it's just, it's ridiculous And there's a movie called uh, I think it's called Wolf or something It's like this um, werewolf movie Made by uh, the voice of um, Metal Gear Solid I think his name's David Hayter And uh, the opening part of the movie Could have been brilliant. It would have been absolutely brilliant. It would have been brilliant. It was great. It was awesome. And then he puts a voiceover over the first like 10 minutes of the movie and it just fucking shit it. And I think, so I was there and he was there for Q&A and I believe, I can't remember if I asked the question or if somebody else asked the question, like I think they didn't have the voiceover in at first and then the studio was like, or whoever were the the investors were like, oh yeah, you need to have a voiceover here because we don't really know what's going on. And so they put a voiceover in it, and it ruined the movie, pretty much. I mean, the movie that movie actually had a lot of good going for it, but I think, like to me, like that voiceover really took it down like ten pegs. Ah, oh, man, I, mean, I I can't I can't believe that people don't find bad voiceover frustrating. Did you, so you do you watch Silicon Valley at all? Do you watch that show? <laughs> yeah, I love that show. Did you watch the last episode with mm-hmm. Tabs versus Spaces? Yeah, I feel like Richard Hendricks over voiceover with tabs versus space. I like that. It's like that annoying to me sometimes. I mean, I'm not saying that any movie that has voiceover in it is bad. And I actually have a little tiny bit of voiceover in in the alternate. And like Beth just makes fun of me so much because she's she knows how much I hate voiceover. There's certain ways you can use it where it's okay. But if you start your movie with a big voiceover, there's got to be a better way to start your
1: movie. There has to be. There. I mean, there just there isn't has to. There is a better way to start your movie. That's Somebody just who the person that's using voiceover at the beginning of their movie just hasn't thought it through yet.
0: Right. I mean, yeah. Fight Club's a great example. That's an amazing movie <laughs> that I would not work with. There's a lot of movies
1: that would not work without voiceover. Let's talk about some of my movies because I feel like every single one of my films has voiceover in it.
0: Well, Man's Best Friend is a voiceover movie and it wouldn't work without voiceover. So you're already off the hook on that one. <laughs> what uh, about Lone? Lone's also a voiceover movie, can't work without it. So, those two are voiceover movies. Like, they don't work without voiceover. Like, that's how you, dis- you just constructed them around it. I-, I mean, I could argue that Lone might be better without any voiceover, you know, with just, you know, experiencing the sights and the sounds and like hearing it visually. I, I don't really. Hate either of those. Those those aren't like major offenders to me. I mean, the the major offenders is like when it's like you're starting a movie, you're trying to get the audience into your characters, and so the first thing you do is start with one of the characters talking to you. And I feel like that is the laziest and just aggravating for me way to start a movie because it's like
1: I think you so- don't like voiceover that's not adding to what you're seeing on screen. That's just like almost saying exactly what you're seeing. it's taking away
0: from the good work that you've done as a filmmaker to create whatever visuals you're showing me you're taking my brain's ability away to enjoy and like dissect what i'm seeing and you're just giving it to me through my ears you're taking them you're taking away like a big chunk of the experience by like ruining it with a with a shitty voiceover unless you're saying something that's challenging the the visuals like if you're saying something that's like not what the visuals are already doing and it's like that might be and i think that's what these great movies do right i think that's like what fight club and other movies that use voiceover really well do is they're challenging what you're seeing visually and they're like they're 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 pulling you further down the rabbit hole instead of just like you know Boop! Here's here's what's happening, you know, which I feel like, which is what most voiceover is. Um, wow! Let's do a
1: topic change really quick. Yeah, please. I'm Can... running out of things to ask you. Yeah. Did you see
0: uh, Green Room? Uh, not yet. God damn. God oh,
1: damn it! You didn't see it. I went so to San Francisco
0: to, to go about. see it. I took a special day to go see the movie, and then I uh, got there too late, and I couldn't go into the theater and miss the first five minutes. So I went and got a haircut. <laughs>
1: it's a good trade-off
0: i did watch the preacher pilot um yesterday did you see that yet no what's up? oh my god so it's this comic book that my wife uh she had one lying around like a little graphic novel of, of this thing called the preacher or preacher and it's this really weird kind of crazy like comic book about a preacher who like is fighting demons or something like that i didn't really i don't think i even read the full graphic novel i just paged through it or whatever and so it's a comic book adaptation, 10 episode something series uh, on AMC directed by uh, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg, that mm-hmm. uh, writing, directing duo. And uh, I guess they're humongous, humongous fans of the source material. So we just watched it just to see. And Beth, Beth likes the comic book, so whatever. And it ended up being really awesome and just like kind of crazy and out there. But like, you could just tell these guys really, really like the comic book and uh, just did, did a good job of bringing it to life in a really crazy way
1: that's cool where where can you find it
0: I think it's you can just find it anywhere right now I think the pilot's free it's, a, it's AM you can put it on on Prime I think you, it's on YouTube I think you can just get it anywhere they, they just I think their whole idea was to put it out like a month before the show starts and just like let people find it and see it and watch it and you who's know who's
1: producing it like who's which network or it's AMC oh AMC okay. yeah so remember when AMC was just a, a movie channel yeah like- American movie classics or whatever it was.
0: Yeah. Well, that's what it still like, is, right? <laughs> it's just doing is it. I don't know. I mean, now what is it? Do they change what they stand for?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it's like KFC where it's no longer Kentucky fried chicken. It's just KFC. Yeah, that's true. It's probably, <laughs> I think mean,
0: that's probably accurate. Um, so, um, yeah, man, just to go, uh, wow. I can't believe we talked about voiceover, uh, for so long. Um,
1: yeah, you were, you're all, I, I learned not to send you an email before the show starts.
0: Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe people will just be like, you know, saying how much of an idiot I am because voiceover is great.
1: (laughs) Whatever. Um, but, uh, what was your week like? What'd you do this week? Um, Well, this is going to be more of like a topic because I want to talk about like the last week. I I was my first week back at work and I got a new project, um, $1.5 million TV spot. Wow. And I'm trying to find a director right now. And I was, while I was doing it, I was thinking, I think I've kind of talked about this, but I wonder if it's, if it's interesting to talk about it while I'm like in the midst of doing it Mm -hmm. and like, what are some of the decisions I'm making and how is it going? (laughs) because I feel like on the outside, when you don't know like how it works, and you and you wonder, you know, especially with a budget like that, and you're like, "Well, why isn't he? Well, you know, where, how does he? How does he choose which director to, to do it? Or like, what? How do I get that job? Or, right? Yeah, I think I used to feel that way. I don't
0: even. I don't even know if it was after I met you, or if it was just like after I've been in, you know, working enough to realize how things work. They don't just give these chances out to anybody
1: <laughs> <You
0: know? laughs> it's not like it's not like oh yeah you're really great you made a really awesome thing let's like you know give you a shot at the big time it's like that's not how it that's not usually how it works you know. Um, and, yeah, and then, no. then we've had discussions about this very thing before, like, you know, with Hassan talked about this, like, you know, if you haven't done the exact thing that they're trying to do, people don't really want to hire you for it. And I kind of feel like you're probably in a, a similar position. Like you're trying to answer to people who want to see somebody who's already delivered what they're looking for, you know? So,
1: yeah. And it's weird. Cause like, I'm, I'm in charge of, curating the director reels and showing it to the creative team but i'm not in charge of like choosing who we're gonna approach and say do you guys do you want to work on this job like part of it's up to me like the part of it is just like kind of putting that initial email together like here's some directors that that fit what you guys are looking for because i I sat down with the creatives a week ago and, and they said we're looking for a director that um, shoots really beautiful film, but that also has like a little wit and humor to their reel. It's a montage spot. So specifically, we need somebody that can handle montage because we're going to be in in a few shoot days shooting like 26 different vignettes with like 34 talent. So you kind of need somebody that's done something like that. If all they have on their reel is like two people in a room talking, it's going to be really <laughs> hard for them, you know, for us to at least trust that they're going to be able to scale it up. Right. Right. So I started pulling I mean they already had some ideas on directors so like right right away we just sent off the scripts to that those directors kind of like really big names um and then we heard no they weren't interested it either wasn't what they wanted to do or they were busy and so we're going through like a list of directors that you know fit what they're looking for and uh that we think can handle like the budget and the scope of the job and it's always interesting to see which directors the creatives pick over like what in my head I think would be like a good director to to fit up to pair up with this project. Mm. It, it hardly ever matches up or like the directors I don't think are are the ones that the creatives are going to like end up being the ones that they like. Huh. But right now we're like at the really top of the list where it's like a level directors like top names
0: guys kind of Z- ev- jack snyder some...
1: <laughs> no i mean lance accord is like one of the biggest ones right and it, mike mills right yeah i think you've talked about those guys before
0: mm-hmm. Sound lance Accord is
1: a dp he he shot like um a lot of spike jones's movies and sophia coppola's movies mm. but he he's a really good commercial director and like there's some directors like him that just you feel like they can do almost anything they can do like the the beautiful emotional piece but they can also do like these comedy pieces or like fantastic surrealism he's just one of those directors that's good at so many things and just super smart about things and he makes c- scripts better yeah which is what we're always looking for
0: well, so here's a question for you and I mean yeah I kind of know the answer to this you know but I'm just going to ask it anyways um, so like, let's say like, you, you know, like some young up and coming directors and mm-hmm. you want to like you think that like, OK, well, maybe they haven't done anything that's exactly this before, but I believe they could actually do this. And their their wit and style is a match for what they're trying to do, whatever. Like, why wouldn't you just slip them in into an email and be like, hey, like, I know these guys haven't really proven themselves, but they'd be like really great options. I know they can pull this off. um I know it's kind of a risky thing, but they're amazing, I would consider giving them a shot, you know? like Yeah, I could definitely do that. Do you ever do that
1: kind of thing? I probably have, especially on projects where I don't think that we're going to get that that A-lister interested. Mm-hmm. And this project is kind of quickly going into that direction where, like, we're hearing a lot of no's because I think it's just, it's one of those ideas that it's not going to capture the minds of somebody who has a ton of options. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, I can do that, but... Most of the time, the the creative teams kind of know what they're looking for, and it's their decision to make. Right, but yeah, definitely. I mean, I have that power. Does that does I,
0: that reflect negatively
1: on you in any way by doing that? You know, like as long as it's not like some really crappy reel, right? It you have know, to be somebody it, that it, looks respectful. If it is really good, yeah, and I am right. Then they'll be like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Well, why don't we throw that guy in the mix? Mm -hmm. I mean, that happens all the time where you have, like, some up-and-comer that's bidding against, like, two heavy hitter guys. Right. Because... You want to give those guys a shot and you want to see how they can do up against those, the heavy hitters. And sometimes they win. There's been right. several cases where they won against like really top guys.
0: Yeah, but they have to like in order to even be in that conversation, they have to have the reel that puts them in that in that quadrant, whether it be actual pieces or things that just look like that kind of, you
1: know, level of commercial work. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's got to be on the real. It can't just be my friend. Yeah, I know this guy. Right, right. he hasn't done much, but he's gonna be great. Prom, I promise you. Right, right, exactly. Sure, dude. Sure. (laughs) Yeah, and it can't it can't be
0: somebody who has a thing that doesn't even look like the thing they want. That needs to look relatively like the thing that they want. You know, like it has to look like a like they they've done work that fits into that commercial box. You know, yeah, it's
1: really hard to to sell like feature film directors, no matter how big they are. Right. There's always like some feature film director that's trying to get into commercials like John Favreau, for instance. Oh, really? And even like someone like that, you're just like, it's so hard to sell him. Iron Man, dude. Iron Man. <laughs> that's all you have to yeah, say. But, yeah. Right? But Iron Man also, it's like the the schedule for a feature film is like years for something like that. Whereas like a commercial is only eight weeks. So you can never do an Iron Man type type commercial in 8 weeks because you just don't have the, the time on the back end to right. do the visual effects you need. So you there is like a difference in mindset and like how you approach something. So you want like an indie guy who's done like really
0: high-end looking stuff basically cuz indie people are really used to working under fire,
1: you know. Yeah. They're they're really good at commercials because they they know how to just like make things happen.
0: My whole thought about this is like, yeah, we should be giving people chances because that's what we we need in order to, like, find good talent. And that's what people like me need to, like, even have a career is that, you know, you have to give somebody a chance at some point. Right. But on the yeah. other hand, it's like you can't just get a, give anybody a chance. They need to put themselves in a position in order to, like, be ready for that chance. You know?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, like, it's almost like you meet each other halfway. So, like, got the filmmaker Builds their reel up to the point where you can, like, see the potential in there. And then on the agency side, maybe the creative's really good, but the budget's really low and we'll never get, like, the A-lister interested. So then you have to start looking for the up-and-comer or the guy that is is going to do as good as an A-lister, but you just don't have the money to spend on them.
0: Right, exactly. Yeah, it's really interesting. It's, like, the, the sort of why I'm, like, one of the reasons why I'm really into the whole, like, sci-fi horror thing right now is because you know i just think that if i focus on one area it'll like make it easier for me to like be in that situation for like a horror slash sci-fi sort of thing you know because if i can prove like oh yeah i've made multiple horror sci-fi type movies then it's like oh maybe i'm the right person to give a shot at a horse horror sci-fi type feature you know but uh, definitely not the person to get a chance to to do a commercial because I have, like, nothing in my reel that is even close to that. Like, if you were doing, like, something that was sci-fi or horror-based in a commercial, then maybe I'd be like, Come on. <laughs> yeah, there's
1: not a whole lot of that going on, is there? Right, not really. <laughs> and I feel like though they, if they are, it's like on the
0: lower end scale. Like I don't think there's right. million dollar commercials in the horror sci-fi.
1: Uh, I think realm. if there's one thing clients don't want to do, it's it's probably they don't want to scare people. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> or discuss them. They usually want to make them feel like optimistic.
0: Yeah, exactly. But I think I have seen some really cool like sci-fi or horror based commercials in my lifetime, you know, Mm -hmm. but that's probably like over 20 years of watching TV, you know, (laughs) or more, you know. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Well, let's let's talk about how it relates to feature films because a lot of times independent filmmakers that haven't proved themselves in huge ways get these big opportunities and I think it's very similar to how it works in the commercial world and in that independent filmmakers are really good at getting things done and working within getting a lot of bang for the buck that I think that a lot of times they get the chance to direct something bigger because you know part of it's I think the studios or let's say it's a, a bigger independent producer wants to foster a new voice. Cause I think fostering a new voice is a, is a good way to get more money right? in a weird way, because you can't have Steven Spielberg direct everything. People get sick of him after a certain time. So you need to like foster that new talent. And then also I think they, you can give them less money and then they can do more with it because they're not used to having a ton of money. I think the more experienced like a director is with money, probably the easier it is for them to spend it.
0: Yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting because like that guy, Colin uh, Trout, 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 Trow- Treadmore,
1: Treadmoreho, the guy who name? just did the the Jurassic
0: World. Yeah, that made the most money of any movie in the world or something like that. Like just made a ton of money.
1: <laughs> yeah, what's his story? How'd that happen? So he
0: made a, a movie before that. Uh, was it Safety First? Was that what his movie was no, called? Safety not guaranteed. Safety not guaranteed. Right. And so that was his first movie, right? Like, he hadn't done anything before that? I believe I don't really know
1: too much about this guy. I mean, if you just look at his IMDb page, you see that. You see, like, that feature film, like, really small indie film. And then all of a sudden, like, Jurassic World. But I'm guessing that behind the scenes, he was, like, a writer. You know, maybe he was writing some bigger movies, and they just never got produced, so you don't see credits on IMDb. Yeah. And he somehow through that, like, got enough like traction in Hollywood that some that he got attached to Jurassic world and maybe Steven Spielberg is like hey this this kid's got something let's give him a shot I have no idea though
0: yeah but I didn't see his first movie so I don't really know but I mean oh, I saw it. I'm gonna yeah. I'm gonna guess that it's not really like uh, Jurassic world in a way uh, in a lot no, of ways like <laughs> or any anyway. classic
1: indie film a lot of talking. <laughs> Right. There's one visual effects near the end that's not I, w- I wouldn't even really call a visual effect shot.
0: Yeah, but would you say that his voice from that first movie was got transferred over to Jurassic World because I would probably bet no if I was a betting man. If um, I had
1: to guess what I, I mean I couldn't even tell you
0: what his voice is. Oh from the first movie from Safety Yeah, it Guaranteed? wasn't like okay. Yeah,
1: it was a cute premise and it was just a pretty standard like indie film like that you could just put on and you'd be like you know throw away fun little film but it didn't have like a strong point of view in my opinion
0: yeah i mean i don't know it's like it seems really interesting that 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 a that that worked and b that that's something that they're doing that they're taking these (laughs) indie filmmakers who like you know have done one movie maybe two movies and then throwing them at these huge franchises like that guy john watts who did um cop car like now he's doing spider-man and i didn't see cop car either but i mean i'm gonna guess that cop car isn't really a lot like spider-man in in most ways maybe the kids like because they're like you know younger younger you know teenagers or whatever and spider-man's gonna be a teenager so you know maybe that's enough of a of a connection but it just seems like they're just going after these indie filmmakers who have like a hit or something that does well and like hey Here's a franchise. Go go for it, you know? And it's just like <laughs> like that guy who did um
1: what's it called? Like uh the Kings of Summer or whatever? And now Five Hundred Days of Summer? No,
0: no, no, not that guy. Oh.
1: Because uh, he did Spider Man also.
0: Yeah, but he's a bigger time director that guy. That was a uh, Mark uh Mark Webb. Yeah, Mark Webb. But I uh, no, this uh Kings of Summer and he's doing um it was his first movie. Now he's doing King the King Kong sequel, Kong Island oh. or whatever, Skull Island. Yeah. And so it's like like that movie, I can bet you has no similarities to King Kong. Like you know, I I didn't I didn't see that one either, <laughs> but uh, but I saw the trailer and there's just you know it's like teenagers in the in the in the forest like running away from home. Like how is that you know like a you know visual effects driven spectacle you mm-hmm. know? But I mean that's what the trend seems to be. It's really interesting. So I don't I don't know what that means for indie filmmakers. But it's got to mean something,
1: (laughs) right? Yeah. I like to think of it like Francis Ford Coppola and George Lucas way back in the 70s. And George Lucas made this movie called... um, THX? No, after THX. Oh, American Graffiti? American Graffiti, which is like as independent film as you can get. I mean, look at that movie. It's just kids talking for the most part right right and then he did Star Wars right after it yeah. so it's like he had this mentor that believed in him and figured out a way to help him get his movie made I know Star Wars is not the the same thing as like what's going on with like Jurassic World or you know, Spider-Man movies because it was an unknown franchise and it was something that George Lucas really wanted to do. But
0: Right. And he had THX <laughs> under his belt, which would, yeah. you could argue was like enough of a experience to say that like, oh, he can do sci-fi something or other. Yeah. You
1: know? Or I mean Steven Spielberg, a lot of his movies up until that point just been like TV movies or Sugarland Express is not, you know, it's nothing like Jaws or Counters. Um but I think there's enough similarities in duel that people saw that he could do jaws yeah yeah definitely so i don't know i don't know what people are seeing but my guess is that the difference between a successful big budget movie and an unsuccessful one a lot of times is the human story underneath it because i think people the audiences are getting wise to that whole thing and they want human stories even in their their spectacles so I think that what they're, the studios are doing is compensating by putting an indie filmmaker at the helm who is good at telling like really small human stories knowing that they have this huge system that can support the visual effects and action
0: right and they're probably also thinking like this guy is going to be really cheap and and, <laughs> right. and easy to, to to control like I, that's got to gotta be a big part of it it's like you know they want to have yeah. their their hands on the reins and getting a, a young up and comers is an easy way to to be like, yeah, we know this guy is just happy to be here. He's not going to overstep his bounds, you know. Mm-hmm. uh I don't know if that's that's too cynical, but I mean, I, I that's got to be part of it, you know. It just has to be.
1: Yeah, I don't know, and it's my. It could just be the people in charge are just watching these films, and they're like, hey, this this guy has something. I like, I want to work with this guy, or I want to give this guy a shot. And maybe there's like a little mission for some of these guys to just help the younger filmmakers out and get their foot in the door.
0: Yeah, I mean, I really shouldn't be talking negatively about it because it's just great (laughs) for indie filmmakers. It's, like, awesome (laughs) that we have these opportunities out in the world for us, you know? Not saying that either of us is going to make a feature and then just, like, get the next, uh, you know, whatever, uh, X-Men movie handed to us or something. But, I mean, I don't know. It's just that the fact that it's happening is, is only good for us, basically. You know, we shouldn't be questioning it too much. I mean, I don't know. Like, as a filmmaker... Like, I I like the idea of like, oh, yeah, I'm going to make a movie that's like, you know, whatever, like $200,000, $500,000, whatever the budget ends up being. And then I'll make a movie that's like $2 million or $3 million or something like, you know, like growing gradually, not just going from like, you know, super low budget to like, I don't know, 20 million, like 120 (laughs) million, like 200 million. Like, that's just too much. That's too much responsibility, man. You know, that seems crazy. Like that, like, you know, talk about like. You know, we talk about filmmaking and we like really enjoy it. And then like, you know, it's it's fun, but it's also really hard work. If you're, if you're directing a movie that's uh, worth $150 million, like that's just going to take all the fun right out of it. I think, you know, it's so <laughs> stressful. I mean, my God, you know, like if it doesn't do well, like your career is over.
1: <laughs> but, yeah, that's pretty scary. Yeah. But what's that? There's that one filmmaker that that just kind of happened to. What was he working on? Like. I want to say Fantastic Four, or... Oh,
0: yeah, J- Josh Trank.
1: Is it Fantastic Four? Yeah, so, right? so
0: he did Fantastic Four, the, the remake, and then like he got fired off of uh, Star Wars right after. Mm. And I don't know what he's doing now.
1: Yeah, it seems like he burned a lot of bridges.
0: Well, that, was, that wasn't that was just the movie's performance. I think there were some personality things going yeah, on. Yeah, no, and... he
1: was very vocal about what it was like to work within that system.
0: Yeah, it, it sounded like it's a bit, lots of drama. There's a, it's like one of those like really crazy situations where you're hearing all kinds of things and you know they're 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 probably there's probably truth to all of it but there's probably like lots of you know twisting to all of it too you know so yeah anyways that's that's unfortunate that that happened to that guy but uh because he was another story like of a of a you know young filmmaker like who got a chance and like got a big shot you know um but i guess that's like the a, a sad
1: story within that you know <laughs> yeah it is a sad story what's the guy who just did the the evil dead remake what's he doing next oh you know?
0: yeah he's got a movie i think that's out now um fede alvarez i think is his name um
1: yeah that's right yeah
0: yeah he i think he's been doing really well i can't remember what the, his newest movie is but i i read something i think it was in a festival or something and people were saying it was really good and that he uh, he made a really cool movie um, so, yeah. I love that. That's a good success story. Yeah, man. Make a movie online and then get, you know, brought in to direct the the Evil Dead remake. And then now you're a feature film director. That's uh, yeah. pretty sweet.
1: <laughs> pretty sweet.
0: Well, let's talk about collaborating with artists. All right. Let's do it. Yeah. So, uh, I we, we talked, you know, you asked me a question about this topic beforehand. Like, what do I mean with artists? Like, am I talking about just like graphic designers and illustrators or am i talking about artists in a broader term and i kind of you know what i'm talking about is kind of anybody that you have to collaborate with as a filmmaker you know so like as an editor a visual effects artist um a graphic designer a composer like kind of any of those people who like you know you you can't really do the thing yourself but you're trying to get them to to you know realize your vision for you
1: like in whatever form That you're, you know, I like that. Something you can't do yourself that you need another person to help you with it, right? How do you communicate your vision? That's good. Yeah. So, well, let me just start with you. Like, where do you start when you work with an artist in this way? Um, I like references. So I like pulling references of things that I do like, and then trying to reverse engineer them in a way that I think is going to be helpful to somebody. Like, these are the reasons I like these things. Mm-hmm. And this is how I think it relates to the project we're working on. So to me, that's, it seems like that's a pretty good way of communicating. Cause then you have at least like a baseline for, you know, like a language that you can say, you can like refer to a bunch of things. Um, and then, you know, most of the time I have an idea already kind of in my head about what I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. So if it's like with poster art, Like when I designed the spirit machine poster, I remember... Could probably sharing a few posters from you know the '80s and the little bit of that adventure feel where you see like a bunch of vignettes from the movie like around like a main visual, mm. and then I pulled some scenes from the movie and I, and I when I briefed the artist, I said this is what I'm looking for. I'm looking for kind of like this retro feel, and I want like us a, a bunch of small moments from the movie represented in in the overall poster. And I said, and I think there should be, like, a key image in the middle. I'm not totally sure what it is, but here's a bunch of frames from the movie. Why don't you take a look at it and and come back to me? And then we went back and forth. And a lot of times I'll end up at at one point or another, after I've gotten some iterations from people, it'll spark, like, a new idea. And then I'll be able to, like, kind of take what they've done and redirect them into the the, the final direction. Mm Mm-hmm. Dude, but you don't often uh, just, you know, let someone else bring
0: their own idea to the table. You always start with something like pretty clear that you want them to achieve for you.
1: Yeah, I think so. There's been very few cases where I'm like, I have no idea. Just bring me something Mm -hmm. because I think it's it's hard to. If you're going to do that, I feel like you need somebody to do kind of a creative exploration. And at the the level that I'm working at now, I usually don't have the time or the money to like let somebody just creatively explore it. And like, here's five different options. Which one do you like the best? Right, right.
0: Yeah, so I'm kind of like, well, at least on the poster that I'm working on now, I sort of did something sort of in the middle. Like, I had a couple ideas of what I wanted to see. And then um, I also wanted to just like, you know, just talk it over. So we had a comp, like a bunch of conversations with my poster artist and then we did the references thing. So I sent a bunch of references to him and then, uh, he came up with like, I think four different sketches, um, you know, just like little pencil sketches of what they could look like. And then we basically picked two of those plus another idea that I had that I wanted him to like give a shot. And so now he's working on those. Um, and uh, it's working out well, but it's 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 interesting because like at some point, it's like I don't want to just dictate to them like what I want. Like I want them to bring their own creativity and artistry to it. But when you know you're you're getting something back, like let's say that's not exactly what you want. Like at what point do you just tell them what you want? You know, and like do exactly this. And I and I kind of feel like, in a lot of ways, it's like if if you're doing that, like why are you why do you even have an artist? You know, because it you if you can just if you you just want somebody to like draw for you or dictate for you like that seems like a different thing like I, I want like a, a collaborator somebody who's working with me and like yeah you know,
1: we're a team or it's not like I'm just telling him what I want or her what I want you know but I think you've said this before that and with creativity it's good to have like a box to work within yeah it's like so I think defining the parameters of the job with an artist And even if it's just very general terms, it's like this is the size of the poster and this is what what I'm looking for. It's like I didn't tell my poster artist, I want this image here, this image here, this image here, this image here. I just gave him a general brief. I want it to be a retro-looking poster with a bunch of scenes from the movie and a key image in the middle. Yeah. And then from that, within those parameters, he can be very creative. But I think if you give them no brief at all or you know very open brief it's sometimes hard to be creative because there's too many directions it can go right exactly and especially if they don't have a strong feeling or a strong
0: connection to the the source material (laughs) then that that could be dangerous well in my yeah. case the
1: movie wasn't even done so it's right. like it's hard how am I going to even inspire him to, to create a poster for a movie that he can't even watch.
0: Yeah and in this case my movie is still being written it's just in written form so it's like <laughs> as the you, poster
1: for the alternate Yeah so like how do you even like you don't even <laughs> right. have an
0: actor involved yet so it's like you don't right. want to draw something that looks too much like any like any particular type of actor like you want to keep it kind of bland and open So you can put it in later, you know,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: like he's like, I don't want to draw like this actor's type of face because then what if you don't get that type of actor, you know, that it's like, oh, you know. Kind so of how are things left.
1: going with your poster? You said you got some sketches back. Did yeah. you choose one?
0: Yeah, well, so there's there's basically there was one main one that he really liked that I that I like, you know, but I, I wanted to see some other more simple ideas cuz it's kind of like more of a it's a very like 70s type of poster, you know. Mm-hmm. Um but I like where that the direction that poster is going in, but I there's a couple other sketches that I, I'm waiting on that are probably ones that I'm a little bit more excited about. Um, I kind of feel like no matter what happens, like all these will be used, um, in one way or another just to show like different, like ideas within the, the lookbook probably, but I'll, I'll definitely pick one poster that is the poster poster. Um, but I'm not sure which one that is yet, you know, but I'm basically just waiting back back for a couple sketches, you know? Um, but when someone's working for you for like very little or for even for nothing, it's sort of hard to... You know, to really be tough on deadlines. <laughs> <You know?
1: laughs> yeah, I feel that.
0: But I'm really excited about what's, what, what I'm seeing. And I think there's uh, going to be something that's going to come out that's going to be really strong that will, uh, you know, communicate the idea to people and get people excited about the movie. Because the whole idea is like you know you want to communicate what the movie is but you also just want to get people excited about it you know like that's sort of generally like like I want people to see the poster and want to read the script that's like sort of like the way that's what I want the poster to do and like be like oh man I want to help I want to get behind this project I want to be involved like this is something really cool that I want to be involved in you know what are your say some of your favorite movie posters
1: that you can remember like the thing is a huge one that I really like um that's just kind of like a silhouette of this weird looking, almost like guy. And he's like backlit with these like rays.
0: It's something like that. Yeah. And then there's like something coming out of his face. It's like, he's, he's like, you know, got a winter coat on or whatever. Um, and then it's like this, I really like the pose that he has. So we're sort of trying to get a similar
1: pose for our character to have something like that. Um, but I, I love- think I read a story about that poster and that the guy who, who made it, he didn't have much time to do it and he, I don't think he even knew what the movie was about. So like that image is not even one from the movie.
0: Yeah, no, it's not. I mean, it's cool (laughs) that it's, it's a guy in a, in a winter coat because they are, that's what they all wear in that movie. So that, that part of it at least makes sense. But, uh, it's interesting that that's the way it came out. Um, yeah. I mean, I love the back to the future poster. I love, um, you know, the aliens poster. I love the alien poster too, but the aliens
1: poster I like a lot also. What's the aliens poster?
0: Well, the one I have is, is a uh, Ripley. Um, it's, I guess still from the movie it's like Ripley holding newt with a flamethrower, like all around the eggs, um, oh, okay. you know, in, in like the space in a spaceship kind of thing. Um, but the alien, you know what the alien poster is, right? Like, that's the iconic. That's just with the egg, The right? egg, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's an egg, and I believe faded behind it is a sea of eggs um, mm. all open in front of the one egg, yeah. um, which is really a cool image. And I mean, I le- like, that kind of stuff is really neat, where it's, like, really simple and direct, you know, where it doesn't really have, um, like, a ton going on. Like it's just, like, one kind of clear idea that they're trying to, like, you know, Communicate to, to the audience. Mm-hmm. I also really like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles poster um, where it's just like the hands and I think a couple of the masks creeping out from underneath the sewer. Uh, but that's because I was a kid. and I love Teenage Mutant the Ninja 90s Turtles version. Yeah, the 90s version. <laughs> yeah, not the new version. God, no, not the new version. The 90s, the original like 1989 or 1990 Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I could go on. I love, I have a, uh, now my, my, my poster collection is kind of gotten a little bit smaller, but I, I had a one that I had started when I worked at a movie theater. Cause they just had a ton of movie posters there. And he was just like, take as many as you want. And so I have an original minority report poster. I've got, um, original Melinda, Melinda poster. I've got, you know, Woody Allen's Melinda, Melinda. Um, I've got a whole bunch of really cool posters. I got this original sin city poster, that's up in my office right now that is really sweet. I got all kinds of posters. What what about you? What are some favorite of your favorite movies? I don't posters? I, I,
1: I asked that, and I was afraid you were going to ask me. And I, I don't, I don't really know off the top of my head. I've seen some really great ones, but there's not like a bunch that I keep going back to. It's it's so funny. Like ones that I I think of in
0: my head are the more boring ones, like like the like <laughs> right. the dead zone poster, which I think is just the just dead the logo. Z- yeah, and it. But yeah. I love
1: that. It's great. I think there might be a car on the road with its headlights on or something. No, maybe. Yeah, yeah. That which is. Oh man, that
0: that's another movie that like talking about references like that's i mean I've, that's kind of the type of movies i would love to make is like mm-hmm. like the dead zone oh so good
1: Such well there's great one poster artist from the 80s and i don't remember what his name is but he did like all the famous movie posters he did like back to the future he was hired by guillermo del toro to do that hellboy one that mm-hmm. illustrated hellboy one um it's not that yeah. Drew
0: Struzan guy, is it, or whatever his name is? That, I think he's the guy who did like Indiana Jones and Star Wars. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, he did
0: the thing. That's what your your poster for the Spirit Machine. That's what it
1: reminds me of. It's like that style of poster, you know. And I really yeah, Drew Struzan. Yeah, well, that's I. That was the influence. Like I love those posters, like Indiana Jones, and I maybe. The original is not like this, but there's a version of the Indiana Jones poster where it's like you see some of the little adventures in in small miniature like around him. Yeah. And I like those because it gives you a sense for what the movie is. But then after you've seen the movie, you can look at that poster and you can like remember those like little scenes.
0: Yeah. Temple Temple of Doom. I have a Temple of Doom poster that might not be the original poster, but it it, it has that. It has like little images from Indiana Jones all around it. Yeah. It's pretty sweet. That's right. Goonies, um, I like yeah. Goonies. The Star Wars poster is another one that they they did that as well. It's like you see all the characters, and there's art, like especially the Empire Strikes Back one. Like you you get a shot of uh, you know, on the bantha or whatever. Um, yeah, you know, it's like all the little things like um, uh, you know, mixed in together. It's it's really fun. I love that too. But I mean. I haven't really felt like my movies at this point are epic enough to really, you know, deserve that kind of poster. Like, they're so, right. the stories are much smaller. I mean, I feel like for your movie, it is more of an epic thing. And that's exactly what you're trying to create with the feature. So I kind of feel like that poster is perfect for, for that movie, you know?
1: Yeah. Now I'm getting sick of these posters, though, because I feel like everyone's doing them. So I'll probably <laughs> never do one of these again. One of those type of, of epic Yeah, old one of those, like, kind of retro, old school kind. Because <laughs> I feel like funny. everyone, has such good memories of them but they're not being done anymore but now i feel like some people are starting to go back and do them
0: yeah someone he said that's what he, he asked me do you want it to be retro and i was like well i want it to be retro without being actually like retro like all these other retro posters and he's <laughs> right. like what the fuck does that mean i was like i don't know i'm crazy figure
1: it out i i, I saw a tweet recently from i think the uh the director of guest and he said, like, I, I can't I can't handle like another movie cover looking like an old VHS tape. Like, stop oh, yeah. it already.
0: Yeah, no, that's exactly what he wanted to do. He's like, <laughs> he wanted it to make it look like a VHS tape cover. And I was like, or that's what he was asking me. And I was like, no, 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 we no, can't do please. that. I want it yeah. to look like a movie that didn't exist forever, but is going to exist and that you need to be a
1: part of it. You know, that's what I want it to look like. <laughs> right. Well, nowadays I feel like the, the strongest images are probably ones that read small on the internet, like almost like, um, an icon, mm. right? Like they, this happened with album covers where album covers used to be really elaborate. And now that they're just like squares on your iPhone and, and they just need to represent, that album in a very clear, distinct way. So, you know, like it's, it's less about the detail in it and more just about having like one, like really iconic image of it.
0: Yeah. I think iconic image is a really good or like iconic is just like a great word to describe like what I want in a poster. It's like, I want it to feel iconic, you know, and people to just like see it and just be like immediately interested in whatever, in, in the in the project or in the film or in the movie or whatever you know like I just think that that's what I'm looking for something that just sort of do,
1: grabs people you know yeah how do you get something iconic from an idea
0: well I, I don't know like for the alternate at, at least like the way that, that I want to focus on is the portal and the duality you know like those are the things that I think are really important about the story that are interesting Um, and so that's what I was trying to get him to, to focus on is like Yeah. Utilizing the portal and then utilizing the duality of the situation, you know, like with two characters that are, you know, identical yet slightly different, you know? So I was trying to see what he could come up with in that area. And we had some ideas, but those are the sketches I'm waiting on are the ones that uh, incorporate the duality and the, and the portal, you know, like the main image now that we have has the portal in it, but it doesn't really have a lot of the duality kind of things you know so i mean it's still cool but it's just it's not it's not what i think the strongest most you know
1: eye-catching thing could be from the story you know just split your poster down the middle one side is black and the other side is white done (laughs) <laughs> I'll poster. take uh $50. Yeah.
0: No. No, I I I I drew a little like really crummy version of what I of of kind of what I wanted to see and it was basically that. It was like a portal in the center and then one character, half the character on one side dressed a certain way and half the character on the other side dressed a different way and then that was kind of it, you know? But um yeah, I haven't seen that realized yet, you know, but I think that would be really cool, or like half beard, half no beard, you know, like that kind of thing. Even if it was the same clothes, but just half
1: beard, half no beard. Um, but I don't know. Cameron texted me some things about Shane Carruth that I feel like we missed, and I oh, probably yeah. should have. Yeah, I probably should have caught. Okay, hit us. Uh, hit Me. One of them was you know he let's see I'm I'm pulling up his text so he didn't make Cameron says he didn't make shorts before Primer so we were we were right in assuming that but I forgot to say he was a software engineer before he started making movies Oh, I thought you did say that I don't remember if I did but mm. I think that's interesting because it probably goes along with like how his brain works well it makes and, sense like kind of how Primer starts
0: is they're like working on like they're entrepreneurs trying to create like this thing you know yeah
1: exactly that makes sense. So he said that he wanted to write a novel, but he started writing it and realized that he only wanted to write the actions of what was happening and what people are seeing and he realized that that was a screenplay. So Yeah, he, that's like, funny. Yeah, started doing screenplay. And then I guess in between Primer and Upstream Color, he was pursuing another film called Topiary. Mm. But the budget was like going to be $10 million, and he was trying to get a bunch of investors involved. Um, I guess even David Fincher's production company was somebody that was interested in it. And he spent seven years trying to do that, and nothing really happened. And so he decided to make Upstream Color. So it oh, seemed wow. like he tried to make that next step in his career, but who knows why it never really caught on. Maybe he was asking for too much. Maybe $10 million was a big jump, especially in, in 2004, like we were saying.
0: Yeah, maybe. I mean, it seems, feels like two, to get it done. ten million dollars in two thousand four seems like less than it is now, right? Like, if you ask for ten million now, I feel like they'd be like, "Oh, well, here, how about you do it with two million?" But I think in two thousand four, <laughs> right. people were like, "Oh, ten million—that's nothing," you know. Like, I think because yeah,
1: I don't know the technology like right was now. Different. Uh, was it Bloomhouse Productions? They try to do movies for five million or under, right? That's kind of like their threshold. I feel like two to four million is like the next kind of step up from the hundred thousand dollar feature. Yeah, or and or even beyond just a that, million. <laughs> beyond that, you're in the studio system. Right, exactly. And then they probably want to spend like twenty million at minimum, percep for perception reasons. Whatever it well, is. Well, yeah, or, or or
0: they don't even make movies for that little these days anyways. Like, people are spending, like, like I don't know. It just seems like the $10 million movie is, is not, like, what the feature, like, the studios are interested in right now. You know, instead of making $100 million movie, you make, like, you know, 10, $10 million movies. Like, like that just seems like... No brainer, because it's like the the venture capitalist model, right? Like you know, you make ten bets <laughs> right. and you watch nine of them fail, but then the one winner will pay for all the failures, you know. Yeah. But that doesn't really
1: one. work in a hundred million dollars. It's like if that one fails, you're fucked, you know. Then you go to the next hundred million dollar movie. Right. You yeah. Spend a billion in a movies every year
0: yeah that's
1: i don't know it just see it just feels
0: like come on guys like let's just break off some more movie money so we can get more movies made like you know it just seems insane that the only people that make movies for under 10 million dollars are
1: independent productions it's like what the hell you know that's insane so that, that was it that's just a few updates on that
0: Yeah. I mean, I I don't know. We're not, we're no like, we're not like Shane Carruth biographers or anything. Like we don't really, you know, (laughs) we're just like, that's what we knew about him, you know? And, and I guess it wasn't really a clear picture, but, uh, it's interesting to hear that he was working on that movie for
1: so long, trying to get it made. That's gotta be heartbreaking.
0: Seven years. Like you don't even get to shoot anything. Jesus.
1: So now, yeah, now thinking about Upstream Color, I'm sure that was like huge sacrifice for him. And that's probably uh, um, that's probably where I read that he was a little disillusioned with the system because was probably like trying to get that his other movie made. So for so long that then at a certain point, he's like, well, what's the point? I'm just going to go make this on my own.
0: I wonder if like a lot of the reason why the other movie didn't happen was because they were wanting him to compromise on certain things within the story. And he was like, you know, obviously not willing to do that.
1: Could be We gotta get him on the show Shane yeah. where are you? Get Come on, on Shane
0: show. I know you listen
1: You have to be a <laughs> listener So uh, just Come jump on the on show, the show let's, man. Let's talk about it No problem Do you know Really quickly there, There's another filmmaker That this story reminds me of Which is the filmmaker Or makers Who did uh, Another Earth Oh Yeah yeah. And they were developing right after Another Earth, they made that for like a hundred thousand dollars on their own. They were developing a property at Fox and it was taking them like years to develop and uh eventually they're just like, you know what? I we just need to go off and, and do something else. And so they took the what they were developing at Fox and made a prequel called uh I, 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 I Origin. Oh, okay. Did you see this movie? No, but I heard about it. It's really cool. So it was a prequel to the property they're developing at Fox mm. and I, they made it for really cheap on their own. It did and, really well. And it did well. And so now they're going to, I believe that, you know, Fox has the rights to, to make the the movie now. Um, and so it just like kind of helped their cause. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I mean, well.
0: that sounds so wonderful and easy, but it's like iOrigin, that, that's like a dream to be able to make a movie at that scale. Because I think that's what, like a $2 million movie? I think so. Yeah, Michael Pitt starting it from uh, mm-hmm. Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, um, who's amazing. Uh yeah, I remember it the year that I was going to um I, either the year or the year after that I went to a bunch of movies at uh, San Francisco International. It played there and I was going to try to go see it, but I didn't. Um but yeah, it's cool. It's like a little sci-fi movie, right? Like a little like yeah. kind
1: sci-fi drama sort of thing. It's a, uh, yeah, it's the the premise of it is that the scientist is working on kind of like this missing step in evolution like how the eye formed and through this discovery he like discovers that or finds that like eyes get passed from person to person so like it's like um, reincarnation when you die your soul gets transferred to another person and your eyes go with them Mm. so because he's starting to catalog people's eyes and then he realizes this girl that he was in love with he finds her, her, who she is, like reborn as this young girl in India, and he goes to go find her to see if she recognizes him. Wow, crazy! That sounds it's cool. a really cool story. And I guess it's like a whole setup to this technology where everyone, um, you know, everyone gets their eyes scanned when they're born, and they can kind of track souls through time.
0: Oh, wow, crazy! So that's what the the big that's, budget version. Yeah, be the bad. big budget version is. Wow, that's cool. Well, if we all had the Fox contracts and uh, were able to parlay that into a $2 million feature, uh, then yeah, life would be great,
1: right? Yeah. <laughs> but you can do it. $100,000 these guys started with.
0: Yeah. The, the, I, did you actually see Another Earth? I never saw it. I watched the trailer. I
1: did. Was it, it was, good? It was disappointing. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> because the trailer was really cool. And to me, the movie started when it ended. That's like the, the
0: one where the two planets are, like, converging on each other. Is yeah. That the, yeah. Right. I watched that right after I came up with the present premise for The Alternate because I was, like, really concerned that this movie had already been made. So I watched, like, 20 trailers of different movies and, like, looked up all these things. I watched a couple of Twilight Zone episodes. I was just, like, doing all this research to feel like if I'd ri- see if I'd rip anyone
1: off. And uh, and I haven't so far. So uh, <laughs> No. Feel- Their movie pretty much ends where your movie kind of begins. Okay. Interesting.
0: <laughs> I like it. Well, I should still probably see it just so I can be more
1: aware of
0: uh, other dimension movies that are out there. You know? It's
1: pretty much a drama that has this like one tiny sci-fi element and there is a thematic element. That okay. It, that The sci-fi part of it is like 5%. Okay. It's really just a straight drama. Got it. Interesting. I think it would, it would almost work without that other earth part of it mm-hmm. cool awesome well, well, that's it yeah that's man. all i got you want to shout shout out any um plugs this week or things that you want to recommend
0: well preacher as i mentioned earlier is awesome yeah. everyone should watch that um and then i've been playing far cry primal uh like crazy the last week and that's i played it like probably five hours yesterday with my wife and uh that game is so much fun i mean if you like the fire cry games you might be burnt out on them because like i'm sure the the you know it's similar but uh it's just really fun to be in the forest hunting um you know mammoths and riding uh, saber toothed tigers and uh you know ha- like trying to grow your
1: village it's just it's just a lot of fun it sounds it, cool i think i'll eventually play it but i, I think i do need some space yeah i was reading a little shooter type
0: yeah i I did a little bit of reading and apparently it sounds like a lot of the things that you do in far cry primal are also things you've done in the other far cry games but since i didn't play the other far cry games it all feels new and fresh to me and i'm like oh this is amazing but you might you might be like oh it's just the same thing but like this guy does something else you know
1: yeah i'm guessing it's kind of like that yeah but it sounds cool
0: what about you man anything to share
1: yeah, I want to share um, some reviews that we got on iTunes. Oh, we got new reviews? What? Well, you've read these. Oh, okay. You've read these. This is from the Perez brothers. We got, we got two for one. Okay. Like, it's great when you have like, so the Perez brothers are local directors and they both wrote a review. So we got two reviews nice. from these guys. Sweet. So let me pull them up because All I right. did take a screen grab of them, but th- then it's going to cut me off. I'm going to only read like half of it. Okay. Hold on, um, while I'm doing this, oh, I want to no long, we're no longer in the top ten. Oh, really? For filmmaking, what? We got booted. Yeah, we're like eleven now. Jeez, what the hell,
0: guys? No. we do this podcast every week, and you guys can't even <laughs> listen. Jeez.
1: <laughs> uh, that's,
0: that's, that's, a, that's a stupid thing to say because it's actually on us to get listeners. So we need to do a better job. <laughs>
1: right. We're exactly. the ones who
0: are sucking, not you guys. You guys are great.
1: <laughs> okay. This one's from Hart. He says, uh, as an independent filmmaker, the process of making a film can often feel overwhelming and isolated. From brainstorming to script writing to fundraising, it's easy to get lost in one existential crisis after another. However, I no longer have to go on this journey alone. The Making Movies is Hard podcast is a therapeutic beacon of the light in the dark sea of filmmaking. While Timothy and Ulrich don't claim to have all the answers, they ask all the right questions. If you can't afford therapy and you're interested in growing as a filmmaker, this podcast is for you. And Devin says, Making Movies is Hard is a hilarious podcast. I didn't realize this was a comedy podcast. Uh, that gives you the earnest truth about the film industry. If you're an inspiring filmmaker and you want to know about the struggles and the success of the business, then listen to these two great directors as they, as they explore it with you. You will learn and laugh as Ulrich and Timothy talk about their past and future films. So take a listen and discover why making movies is so hard. Five stars. Both wow. Both reviews, five stars. Those are
0: amazing reviews.
1: Thanks yeah, so much, thanks. guys. Yeah, that's a... I feel like a lot of time and energy went into writing these reviews.
0: Yeah, well, they're really eloquently put together and uh, overly flattering, which is, uh, you know, I guess it's good. It's just, you know, it's like, wow, now we have to live up to that. We have to make sure that we're actually that good every week.
1: And somehow these reviews got, like, pushed to the top. So they're like the first two reviews when you look at the reviews tab. Oh, yeah. And I don't know why, because before (laughs) it was like putting things in... Uh, ascending order so like the oldest review is at the top but for some reason like they must leave a lot of reviews on shows or something and so they get more weight Mm, maybe maybe (laughs) yeah they're 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 like you know prime reviewers or something right super reviewers yeah thanks so much guys for leaving those reviews we really appreciate it yeah
0: that's totally awesome um one other thing i want to say is that x-men apocalypse didn't really do that well this weekend and uh, for shame, that was a really cool superhero movie. And uh, I feel like audiences are kind of burnt out on superheroes, but uh, people should go see that movie because I want more X Men. And uh, yeah, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> All you don't right. really like superhero
1: movies, do you? Are you are you I, do. Yeah, I guess. I'm. I don't. I've, I can't think of the last superhero movie that I got excited for. Man, like I'll see a Christopher Nolan Batman any day of the week, but that's about it. Well, a Brian
0: Singer X-Men is almost as good or just as well. Actually, it's better than than one of the Christopher Nolan Batmans, at least. (laughs) Uh And uh, probably better than most. Well, I mean, it depends movie by movie basis. But yeah, Brian Singer's X-Men movies are really, really good.
1: So that's another indie filmmaker that got his Hollywood stardom. Yeah, big budget stardom. What's but his that's deal, a though? Different, That's a different system, you know? Like, I was thinking right. about that. Like, those the indie filmmakers that kind of came up through the studio indie system, you know? Like, he had, like, a bunch of indie films that were made in the indie indie side of the studio system, which no longer exists. Well, didn't he do...
0: It wasn't Usual Suspects' his first movie?
1: Yeah, Usual Suspects is how he started.
0: Yeah, and that's, like,
1: you know, probably his best movie. Well, mm-hmm. maybe. Except but, for X-Men.
0: Well... To, well, if you maybe you would, I don't know. I would probably say that X Men, one of his X Men's, is probably the best. But uh, I think people in general
1: would probably say that Usual Suspects is his best movie. But there's yeah. a lot of filmmakers like that, like Steven Soderbergh, also. Like well, didn't, he,
0: he, well, he he started he started like, with
1: Sex, Lies, and Videotape, I think was like super off the grid. But wasn't then, that, like, yeah, that was way more indie than than
0: Usual Suspects.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then he. Bit, but you know the studio system at the time, like I was saying, has had like that the indie division. So I think a lot of those independent filmmakers in like the '90s got chances to direct like mid-range budget movies, you know, between four and ten million dollars. But now it's like there's just a huge leap, right? There's you go no from mid-range. Like, yeah, you go from like two million to like a hundred and fifty million. Yeah, and and the studios aren't
0: even making the two million dollar movies. It's all the independent people who are doing that, right? right?
1: Yeah. yeah, cool. Well, Hair, hey, why don't you take us out? All right. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, tell your friends about us. Leave a review on iTunes. You can check out our website, makingmoviesishard where you can subscribe to our show notes and share your thoughts on this episode, or send us an email at podcast at and we'll share it on the show. Thanks for listening, Allrick. yeah thank you to the B for listening and talking (laughs) and helping the show
0: exist because without you we wouldn't have a show you know yeah without you we wouldn't have a show either
1: yeah isn't that wonderful that without us there wouldn't be a show (laughs) (laughs) I don't know is it uh and everyone stay tuned because next week is our one year anniversary episode 52 oh my god episode 52 Uh, our heads are going to explode all over the place yeah we'll we'll just be very sentimental yeah if
0: you don't like the emotional episodes you might not want to listen to it this is gonna (laughs) be a lot of crying
1: (laughs) (laughs) all right well have a good week and we'll talk to you soon yeah you too see you later